five, four, three, two, one, and we are live. Hey everyone, I am Husky Muscles or Ali Kocha, and I'm here with my very good friend, very old friend, Furkan Torlak, who is living right now in Texas. How are you, Furkan? Hey Ali, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Furkan Torlak. I'm a third year medical student here in Texas. Um, I've known Ali for a great number of years, and I'm doing a while. fine. Yes. How are you today? I'm good, man. Just, you know, uh, I really want to actually have you on this podcast just because, well, for a couple of reasons. For the first reason, you're studying to be a doctor right now. And, you know, like, we're going to get into that a bit more. But the second reason and the biggest reason, I've known you since we were, I would say, about 14. And when we were 14, I remember you wanted to be a doctor. And now we're almost 25. You know, like 24 is almost done. And you are on your way to becoming a doctor. So for the past 10 years, and who knows how many years before 14 you wanted to be a doctor, you had one goal in mind, and you went out, and now you're still pursuing that goal. I wanted to ask you, what, how did you get into become like, why did you want to be a doctor in the first place? What, what got you into that? Um, I think that's a great question. Um, for me, I think it started probably with my parents, they thought that it'd be a good career path. Um, you know, the immigrant mentality, right? It's like doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure. So, uh, Very right. um, I think their first choice learn to become doctors because, you know, it's a very respectable field, but also, um, looking at, you know, in terms of quality of life and the highest paying like salary, position that you can pretty much achieve uh, through educational means alone. So yes. um, I think that's what kind of got them thinking that it's sort of a good path. And, you know, I'm a really lazy guy, so I didn't really form any creative um, like ideas on my own. So I just kind of rolled with it and here we are. Oh, here you <laughs> are. Hugging along, you know, taking it day by day. So, <laughs> so like, it's been a while, obviously. Like, you're clearly, you've been working toward one goal for more than 10 years now. And there must have been points where you said, you know what, I don't want, I don't know if I want to do this. I want to do something else. What do you have to think about? What do you have to tell yourself when you have those thoughts? Brief uh, rebellious phase in college where I was like, man, I don't want to do this. Or it's just a lot of work. And, you know. Uh, obviously every pre-med student goes through the phase of like, what if I don't get in? What if I'm not good enough? And you kind of battle with those things internally. Um, but, uh, there was a short phase in time where I really wanted to be a chef. And I think that's, really? yeah, that's, oh, wow. uh, like I really wanted to open my own restaurant or food truck or something like that. And now I pursue cooking more as a hobby. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. We're, we're talking to the right guy. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Yeah. So, I remember like I remember you had came here, uh like you had came to Canada a few years ago to visit me. And back then I wasn't a cook and you came to visit me and you're like, Your kitchen is so dirty, you gotta clean this fucking place. And you yeah. were cooking me and my roommates dinner every night and you were a guest from another country. It yeah, man. That was fun. That was fun. I yeah, I just I'm a neat freak and very organized and Think those are qualities that you expect in a medical professional anyway so absolutely absolutely i mean i want my doctor to be a freaking neat freak absolutely how's yeah. your handwriting 
my handwriting actually decent so i'm failing in the first step to be a doctor is have shitty handwriting <laughs> okay like i got a question I, every doctor i meet like you know i mean you know this better than i do they all have shitty handwriting do they all start out with having shitty handwriting or like, it just like it develops as you as the years go on it's more of a time thing like man i could make this script look nice or i could just wing it like in the next one second and you know it, it doesn't matter right we type everything nowadays yeah. so I, I feel like the pharmacists who have to read those prescriptions. Yeah, it's, it's a give and take. They kind of understand how we work now. And most, most orders are electronic these days. So uh, those, are, those are sort of old and age problems now. <laughs> Thank God for technology. Yeah. So for my viewers who are, my viewers are also like a bit young. They're uh, high school students, many of them. And I want you to, I would like you for you to like paint a picture for them of what your life was like after high school as a, as a, as a pre-med, as a, as a medical student, like what was your life like? So I, I think I had a pretty normal college life. Um, I went to, so I go to, I went to school in the U S and I'm sure you have a following that's large in Canada and the United mm -hmm. States, but system kind of works the same. I went to a regular four-year undergraduate program. Where was that? Where was that program? Uh, I went to college at the University of Texas at Dallas. Um, I had a scholarship, which is why I chose to go there. Um, if you're looking to do medicine, I would recommend going to the cheapest school option that you have, places you have scholarships lined up or um, just overall, like um, make the price tag as low as you can for yourself because you're getting hitched for an eight-year journey, right? Mm -hmm. um, so pretty normal undergraduate life. Uh, you know, I partied and I had fun <laughs> and all those things, but you have to keep your priorities straight, which is making good grades. Um, so studying hard for your classes um, and really making sure that your GPA is well above the like national average because you want to be a a shoe in you want to make it guaranteed and you want to have all of the sort of boxes checked going mm -hmm. into your application um you know i did i was a neuroscience major um you don't have to be a science major you can really be anything we have a guy in our class who's like a saxophone major so like oh, you, wow. can really, you can really do anything you want in undergrad you just have to take the the preliminary courses um your science prerequisites and then uh, for U.S. graduates, we take the MCAT. I don't know what it is in Canada, but... Um, I'm not sure either. I wish I knew yeah. that. We can look it up. And I'm sure our Canadian students probably know what it is. Um, but if you're looking to apply to an American uh, medical school, you need to be taking your MCAT and then obviously scoring well on that. Mm -hmm. So um, if you do your academic requirements... Um, you got to throw in a little bit of extras just to, you know, spice it up, spice up the application. I did a lot of research in undergraduate labs and I did a couple of research fellowships. Um, so that's what I kind of focused on. Um, but you can do volunteering, you can do, uh, you can pick up a scribing job. I know that's really popular here. Um, so you just want to have a well-balanced application, but you also want to show that you're a normal human being. So, you know, Go play intramurals, go play an instrument, join a band, I don't know, do something artsy. 
So oh, just yeah. have something to write about. Um, and then I guess the medical school journey in and of itself is probably the most difficult and rigorous academic program that you can possibly imagine. I mean, Damn. I was kind of shocked um, at how difficult it is. Um, I mean, your first semester, you're jumping into 32 hours a week in class. Like that's just 32 hours a week of lectures, anatomy lab, um, and then you have to go home and study all that material because um, well, what my mentor told me is like medical school is like eating pancakes. Um, you gotta eat your three pancakes every day uh, in order to make it. And some days you really don't wanna eat those pancakes. So you save those three pancakes for the next day and then the next day you have to eat six pancakes. So um, that's, that's kind of the mentality is you just have to work at it every day. Um, and then eventually, you know, like drops in a bucket, it kind of piles up and mm. you are where you are one day at a time. One day at a time. Yeah. yeah so in Texas, uh, University of Texas in Dallas, I mean, I used to live in Dallas as well. So I know that's, that's one of the most well-known universities I would say in Texas, probably after like, like there are a few other universities in Texas that are like more prestigious than, uh, than University of Texas in Dallas. But as you said earlier, you would, uh, it's better if you go into the cheapest one you can find and get a scholarship to go there, which is the reason. And, and, and it was in the city you were in as well. So, so, so it ended up working out perfectly for you. And now you're in San Antonio. Am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah. You're in correct. San Antonio. Yeah. So you're, you literally finished your, uh, your undergrad and now you're doing your postgrad. That's correct. Yeah. And how's that, and how's that, like, how has the quarantine affected your studies? Well, so I'm in my third year right now, which is our clinical year. Um, that means that this year um, I'm rotating through various services in the hospital. Um, when coronavirus kind of hit, I was in my internal medicine service, um, which is just like general medicine at the hospital. Um, we were doing a lot of cool work, you know, variety of different conditions, um, but they let us go. They're like, oh. there's not enough PPE to go around for the students. Um, there's not enough faculty energy or time right now um, to sort of mentor and teach us. So they told us, you know, school's out, like yeah. go sit at home like everybody else, which kind of, kind of unfortunate, you know, my sleep schedule is all out of whack. And, I can imagine. Uh, I'm basically living the life like everybody else. Yeah. I mean, so like they aren't making you work from home at all, right? They're just saying, go home. We're going to call you back whenever we, whenever we call you back. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm off. I'm, there's no work to be done right now because all my education is now hands-on. Um, okay. So you can't really do hands-on education if you're not. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's awesome. You know, I mean, well, prior to this coronavirus happening, I mean, we were just talking about earlier how you had a goal in mind for over 10 years, and now you were literally getting paid for doing that goal and working, like it was a job and it was your education at the same time. You were like working at a hospital. You were on your way to doing what you wanted to do for the rest of your life. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're seeing, you want to be in the, you want to make it a career, you know, like being a doctor. Cause I mean, otherwise you wouldn't be in school for this long. So uh, yeah, 
quick correction, like I'm still paying for school. Um, so oh, yeah, I yeah, pay about a hundred dollars a day to to go work at the hospital full time. <laughs> ignore <laughs> but, what I said earlier, guys. Ignore what I just said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you're right in the sense that like, yeah, this is a career. And that's something I actually wanted to touch on here. Um with the whole glorification of the medical field that's kind of happening recently mm -hmm. and like how it's impacting doctors and nurses and all of us students who are working on that career path. So I kind of wanted to dive into that a little bit today. Um, you know, we're studying our postgraduate sort of education um, to become physicians or whatever health professionals that people are aspiring to become. And it's really important to keep in fact that we're doing this because it is a career. Like this is, this is still a job for us. Um, it's a job with a lot of responsibility, but in the end it is a career, right? Like I'm choosing this because um, even though it, it is to help people, um, I'm, I'm doing this in like in the long run, it's for myself. You know, I wanna have good job security. I wanna get paid well. And I want to use my background and my talents to also help patients, but also to help myself. And I think the realm of thought now is like, oh, like these guys are heroes, like our doctors are heroes. And I think that's great. I think it's awesome to be able to, to say that about a group of people. But at the end of the day, I think that puts a lot of pressure uh, on those professions um, and it expects a lot of human sacrifice like oh like this is what you signed up for like you should be doing everything that you can even if it you know puts you in harm's way because this is what we as a society expect out of you you're right yeah and, I mean you're absurd about that I mean yeah right now there's a big glorification of medical professionals going on because they're working 18 to 20 hour days. They're, some of them aren't even going home to see their families. But, and I feel like the rest of us should be very thankful for doctors and nurses working overtime every day. But I, I also like how you're not giving a bullshit answer. You're saying you're doing it for yourself. Uh, at the same time, you're also being a hero. I do believe doctors are heroes because they're saving so many people's lives and they're benefiting the communities they're around so positively. But I like how, you know, I like how you, uh, you aren't giving any bullshit about, uh, about anything. You're just like, you're being straight up, you know, that's awesome. I appreciate those words. Um, so kind of continuing then along that train of thought, um, what other questions do you have? <laughs> <laughs> We're on a podcast and I would just like to talk about anything we have. Yeah. Um, this is my first time doing a podcast. Oh, so, um, it's, it's on my fifth list. time. Yeah, so it's, it's on my <laughs> fifth time. So like, uh, it's it's not that far apart yet, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, not not too far apart. I'm sure they'll <laughs> that your uh, your questions and sort of probing sort of <laughs> questions so, improve over time. I, I, I actually wanted to ask you a few more questions. Well, we're gonna we got to talk, talk about one topic, and that's a quarantine. I mean, I, I talk about that in all my podcasts. I ask people about the cost of the quarantine. Now, the reason I actually want to ask you is because you're in, you're in America, like where this is, you know, on paper, it's the worst, uh, it's the country that's been hit the hardest on paper. 
we you know we know obviously it's not America. China is much worse, even though like their numbers aren't accurate. And but I was listening to some other doctors speak. I think it was Doctor Peter Peter Hotez. He was on a different podcast, and he was yeah. saying according to the models that they have that they're running uh, about, about this virus on, this virus is going to peak in the United States in April. Now he didn't say when in April it would peak, but he also said this. But in states like Texas and California, it's going to peak in May. So it's going to peak later in California and Texas than in like New York and New Jersey. And how are like, how are hospitals and districts handling this uh, coronavirus situation where you are in San Antonio right now? So I I think the models that um, have been shown across the U.S., you know, they're worked on by various public health officials and Mm -hmm. different scientists and, you know, all of its statistics. Um, I think one big thing is that the CDC and the NIH here, which is, you know, the Centers for Disease Control and then the National Institute of Health in the United States have been really stringent in terms of um, numbers, like they really want accurate numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is a big part in what's showing the United States having really, really high um, disease counts is uh, we're having a pretty good and accurate tally of what's going on. Um, As for the peaks, um, currently though, uh, I just got an email today from our program director and at least from the public health officials working in San Antonio, we're expecting a peak around April 22nd. So I oh, think wow. the models are showing an earlier peak now than um, before, uh, at least in Texas. Um, we're still looking at, you know, uh, like a 350 ICU bed shortage um, oh, wow. across the straight, uh, across the state. Um, which is, you know, kind of a scary thought, but it's not as bad as what numbers before were showing. And mm-hmm. that, that's good. That means that the whole social isolation and the quarantine policies that we have in place are sort of working. Um, as for New York and some of the more densely populated cities, it's not a surprise that the virus spread so fast. And um, looking at New York specifically, um, we kind of got blindsided up there because I feel like officials, especially in the federal government, weren't taking the virus seriously when it first um, sort of emerged as a probable pandemic, you know. Yeah, um, not at all. You know, we should have been taking precautionary measures as soon as this novel coronavirus made headlines in China, especially with a globalized economy and the amount of movement um, internationally between individuals. It's no surprise that New York, out of all places, got hit first and the hardest in the United States um, as sort of the economic capital of the United States. So, um, but I do think that the new um, tallies and the new predictions show a light at the end of the tunnel, but I would hate for people to take that as a, oh, look, we've, what we've been doing is working. There's nothing to worry about. We can start to loosen up on our quarantine and um, social isolation measures. I think right now we're at the critical point where um, we can actually control uh, the virus and it's, 
progression. So yeah. I think it's going to be a really critical month for us here in the United States, probably, um, to keep our our quarantine going, and then uh, hopefully towards early summer, I would say maybe be middle of June, we can start to sort of ease back into society, uh, whatever that's going to mean for us and the rest of the world, considering, you know, we are going to probably hit an economic, we are in an economic recession. Um, we will be, I mean, yeah, it just makes sense, right? According to the math, like, yeah. I mean, you Justin can't call Trudeau. it a recession until you have negative uh, GDP um, margins for two straight quarters. So those numbers won't come out until like mid-July. But with the way trends are going, we're looking at a, at a recession for sure. And yeah. I'm sure that's going to play out on a global scale. We haven't seen anything like this in our lifetimes. I mean, the last mm -hmm. known great pandemic was the Spanish flu in 1918. Uh, so um, no one really has experienced both pandemics. So we're yeah. all in uncharted territory here. We don't know um, what to do yet. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a new world, and I think, you know, we just gotta persevere and survive and kind of move forward. Everyone is experiencing this in their own way. I'm sure there are some people out there who are having a much more difficult time. And um, I think the state and federal government should be doing as much as they can to help buffer all of us um, because we are kind of in this together. You can't just forget about, you know, 15% of the nation who's like gonna probably file for unemployment yeah. in the next month or two. At least, I mean, these are US numbers, but um, I mean, you have a bunch of industries that are shut down globally, manufacturing jobs, service jobs, um, so it's going to be an interesting sort of uh, world we're going to walk into here in the summer. <laughs> you know what I think? Uh, well, I'm a kind of guy, like, I'm, I'm spiritual, right? Like, I believe in a higher power, for example. And I think this pandemic, it's a, the way I look at it is it's a message. It's saying, hey, you guys forgot what it's like to be human. You know, like we're, we've all just been so caught up in chasing the next photo to get the most likes on Instagram just earning money, we're like, we forgot what it was like to really be human and care for each other. Now, if you walk down the streets, because everyone's walking outside now because they can't really like leave their, like leave the area they're in, people are waving at each other saying, hey, how are you? You know, are you guys holding up? Just, you see people out on the street, you wanna go talk to them, you wanna see how they're doing. I feel like it's brought out in that case, in that regard, something good in us. And I hope it lasts after this uh, pandemic is over. I think that's an interesting point um, that you make uh, in regards to human altruism in times of uh, despair and difficulty. So I do think that difficult times tend to bring out the best in humans uh, collectively as a society, um, especially when you know hard times hit us all. As for talking to people on the street, I would highly recommend against. Uh, any sort of oh no 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 no, no I mean like I mean like well they're like you know like they're further away from you you say hey how are you guys good yeah. like, at least like ten feet away no one's coming close to each other everyone's like walking very far apart which of course right. is what we should be doing I yeah verified that <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> but you know having a sort of uh, neighborly camaraderie um, reaching out to friends making sure they're okay. And uh, I think we have a lot more time on our hands now is, is kind of what I gather from what you're saying. And 
time on our hands away from the sort of workaholic culture that we we kind of have in the in the Western world uh, and the pursuit of wealth. And I think it's reminded us of, like you said, what's important, which is uh, community, family, um, social bonds. Yeah. Um, the sharing of that and uh, sharing of moments and memories together because sometimes the experiences that you had, you, you know, you make some great memories and, you know, that's kind of all you have left of those. So go out and make experiences when this is all over and, you know, realize you have a life to live. Not everything is about wealth and money and uh, work. You know, I think that's, that's going to be an important uh, sort of shift for us going forward. I think as a society, we've kind of been, um, been chasing money and uh, working too much for too many hours and abandoning some of our other, uh, you know, hobbies and family and friends and things that make us happy for a long time. And I think people are finally realizing like, oh, like, you know, doing all this other stuff makes me really happy. You know, even if I can't be around all these people right now, but I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to continue these like newly acquired hobbies that they have. And they do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And go out and experience more things as a group and not take things for granted. And I think people are going to want to work less. And I think that's going to be really, really sort of important going forward and i know europe has a lot of like pretty like um good quality of life in terms of a work-life balance but that's something that we're kind of missing here yeah <laughs> on the western side of the globe and i think people are going to push for that and i think it's going to be really important and you know especially for doctors you know kind of going full circle uh to come back and talk about what we were discussing earlier in the podcast about, you know, the glorification of doctors and expecting self-sacrifice. Well, I think that we as a, as a profession are going to push for um, better administration for sure. Take back some of the um, regulatory sort of portions of medicine back into our own hands and hopefully create a more sustainable life for ourselves because um, residents and doctors are really overworked. Um, they don't have good quality of life in terms of hours. Um, it expects too much of personal sacrifice, even though it pays well, um, which is why anyone who says that they want to be a doctor um, or going into it as a field, I would urge you, I would urge you to really read up on it and make sure it's something that you can handle because it is a really, really hard life that you're signing up for. How many hours, like the average ICU doctor, how many hours do they work in a week? So, um, you have to take hours into consideration um, because there's two factions of doctors. There are residents, so those are fresh medical school graduates who have been placed at an institution um, through a match system, and they are training there um, for their specialty um, and their and their license. And they're training from anywhere between three to six years, um, and the hours are grueling. Um, sometimes 
72 hours a week for your average like medicine resident um, going all the way up to over 100 hours um, obviously these 100 hours are off the books and mostly for surgical subspecialties um, because we have an 80 hour a week regulation here in the US now yeah. wow. but even then like 80 hours a week that's like 80 hours a week that's, that's how, is that, how is that a regulation what the fuck yeah like that's double your average work week oh you know God, like man. oh 80 hours that's like it's become normalized and I that think is, that is five 16 hour days yeah yeah like, so what's it comes out to be about like, you know, you do um, six, you do five 12 hour days and then one 24, right? Um, oh my God. And then you have the next day off. Wow. <laughs> oh wow. You got the next yeah. day off. Yeah. I can do laundry, you know, I can like watch one episode of, of my favorite show and then sleep for the rest of it. And then, and then come back to work for my 12 hour shift the next day. Pretty much. So yeah, that is rough. Work life is very grueling residency um, outside of residency. So that's after you become a fully licensed um, physician and, 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 you know, you can take contract at whatever institution that will hire you and that'll sort of, and your hours work will depend on your contract. So yeah. um, at that point, it's a little bit more under your control, but again, there's a lot of factors. Like if you want to practice in a specific city, you'll have to sign up for know a certain institution because you know there's only a limited number of hospitals in each city so you're you're, you're going to be stuck with something you know it's trade-offs you're either trading money or you're trading time or you're trading location and you know it's like a it's like one of those triangles you know like you can only, <laughs> you can only pick two circles you know like uh, gotta pick two yeah so I brother. we are coming up on 30 minutes here thank you for being my guest today man i appreciate it for no, thank you for having me, man. Uh, you got some great insights. This is awesome. Uh, I hope I uh, answered some questions. And I had a good time. Brother. Dude, it was nice. It was good. Yeah, keep up with the good work, bro. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it, man. All righty.